This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, May 14th of 2020, it's episode 178. In this episode, Elizabeth Garn joins us for the Chaotic Good episode of our Alignment series, plus our favorite post-biblical Christian figures, Grant running Lost Minds of Fandelver for his daughter, Analysis of Robin Hood, Structure versus Introspection, An Earworm from the Early 90s, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Elizabeth. And we have Elizabeth Garn with us. Elizabeth, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. Doing pretty well. You know, all things considered, pretty good. Elizabeth, you expressed a lot of very excited interest about joining us to talk about the Chaotic Good Alignment, which is what we are talking about tonight. Uh, first, can you introduce yourself and tell our listeners why you're so awesome that we had to have you on the show? <laughs> well, I can certainly try. Yeah, I'm Elizabeth. I am a writer with ChristandPopCulture.com. I get to write about geeky stuff, and my favorite thing to write about is Dungeons & Dragons. And you write some very good articles about it. Oh, thanks. Go find Elizabeth's stuff if you haven't read it yet. It's good. Aww. We'll link it. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, so when you guys said you were doing alignments, I was like, yes. And I picked what I kind of thought was the easiest one, because I like chaotic good. So that's really it. I'm just excited to be here. Awesome. We are very excited to have you. Real quick, before we kind of launch into our other beginning stuff, do any of us have any updates or anything? Or Just one, well, two quick ones. I mentioned this to everyone else before we started recording, but if I like fall asleep in the middle of this episode, it's not because Elizabeth was boring or anything. I'm on muscle relaxers for a, a back that's tweaked, so... It's been so tempting to pick on you over this, but I have restrained myself. <laughs> I appreciate that, and I'm sure Justin will do an amazing job of editing out my snoring if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> the other fun thing is I got my seven-year-old to play through uh, the first chapter of Lost Minds of Fandelver last weekend. Ooh. She it was a one-on-one -on -one session and she was, it was interesting. I fully expected her to love role-playing and struggle with taking damage in combat and missing because she's kind of anxious and sometimes gets a, e easily frustrated. She really struggled with role-playing hmm. because it was just like her and me, right? And that's just, you know, it's it's a dynamic that already exists and there's not a bunch of other players at the table to sort of see how that works but she had no problem running four characters on her own through combat <laughs> she ran the entire party through the adventure that's awesome yeah she's a little tactician apparently and apparently and she loves the math part of it so i mean she loves math that was interesting, and we're going to be doing more of that as we go, hopefully um, getting my wife to come in as another player to help spread the role-playing load. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that was fun. That's all I've got. I'm basically going back to school. Microsoft extended the deadline on some certifications that they were going to retire this June and pushed it all the way back to the end of next January. So that has given me an opportunity to go for some professional certifications that build on my existing knowledge. So that's kind of cool for me. Jenny, you got anything cool going on? The cat's sick. That's Aww. about it. Aww. Yeah, and that's not cool. Uh -uh. No, she's she's genuinely sick. Blood in places that shouldn't be sick. Um, she's on meds. She's doing better on the meds. I just, we aren't 100% sure 
what's going on because the one time we actually need her to pee outside the litter box, she wouldn't, and she wouldn't mm. pee for the urine test. So we don't know 100% for sure what's going on, but it's looking like she's basically developed a nervous disorder that gives her the worst superpower in the world that is acid pee. Oh, <laughs> dear. So yeah, she's she's real sick. She's not doing great. That's awful. Oh. And that's basically been my life for the last two weeks. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. no fun. Mm-mm. No. All right. Well, on that note. Yeah, sorry to sorry to like be a be a bummer. No, no, it. it's it's not everything's not everything's great right now. I don't yeah. you know, it's yeah. uh it's one of those times. Shall we roll for our Patreon question? Yeah, let's see if we can lighten the yeah. mood that way a little. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Watch me roll, like, the the heaviest question possible. Did, did you roll the maximum result again? I did you not. You I promised dice, so... I promised this time I didn't. Okay. So this is... Oh, this is from Douglas Underhill, who's given us a lot of good questions before. And this one is actually going to be... You know, it's not super hard, but there's going to be a little bit of thinking. Douglas asks... Who is your favorite post-biblical Christian figure and why? How about one ancient and one modern? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I can give two. I cannot give two. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I. This is mostly... Okay, so obviously this is one of those things that's going to change kind of day to day. I think right now, because I've been listening to a lot of Pontifex and, you know, just something that's sort of been in my head recently. I might go with uh, Gregory the Great, who was uh, a relatively early pope who was responsible for kind of restabilizing the church in some ways. He was also really the first monk to become pope, like as, as monasteries were sort of beginning to develop, not just like a random anchorite, but somebody who really was part of the monastic tradition. He was apparently just so good at everything he tried to do. He he kept trying to go back to the monastery and hated being pope, but they wouldn't let him. Hmm. Because he was too good at being pope. Well, that that that's how you get the honorific the great after your name, I guess. Oh yeah, no, he <laughs> he wrote a ton of uh theological writing that was critical to kind of the the early church. We have a huge number of his letters preserved. He uh, was pope for a very long time, which also gave him a lot of opportunity to, you know, have an effect on the growing church, dealing with all sorts of things. Really fascinating figure and all the more fascinating because he did not at all want to be pope. Hmm. He really was responsible for that first wave of monastic building in the church and really interesting guy. For the ancient one, I think I'm going to go ahead and say um, I'm going to give credit to the MinMax podcast for this one, but uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, because I love like that image of just this old wounded soldier like hanging his sword up at the altar and swearing off his life of violence. That's such a compelling image, and he went on to be a pretty cool guy after that. For modern ones, I'm going to pick somebody who's still alive. Adam Hamilton has really been very influential in my life and my development of my faith and stuff, and I'm going to go ahead and give him credit on that one. Nice. I have one. I just have one, though, So I and I'm not even sure where she'd fall in the ancient or modern, but Lady Jane Grey is one of my favorite people in Mm. all of history because she's awesome. She was the queen after Henry. So Henry VIII, 
died and his son Edward became king. And then she kind of was nominated as queen. And it was a complicated story of how it all happened. But she was only queen for nine days before Mary came in and took over. But she was just deeply in love with the Lord. And she spent much of her youth corresponding with all of the different church leaders at the time. And she learned a ton of different ancient languages and had a Greek New Testament that she kept with her at all times and just really dug deep into learning on her own in a time when most people weren't able to do that or interested in doing that. And I just think she's really cool. Yeah, sounds like it. Absolutely. My favorite is um, the Desert Mothers, and and that's a little bit cheatsy because it was a group of people. They were a group of female Christian ascetics who all lived in in the Middle Eastern desert. Their brand of ascetism just just interests me. But everything I've read about them, I've I've enjoyed. I will admit to not having read about them in a fair while. Most of of my Christian history teachings are so biblically based that, like, thinking post-biblically is kind of weird for me. Yeah, it's a hard question. It's really hard because we don't focus on that very much in my church at all. This is par for the course for a Doug Underhill question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be an easy question. Yeah. 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 Douglas, we love you, but (laughs) you definitely make us exercise our synapses. And our Google searches, honestly, sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Doug, thanks for the question. It's a good one, as always. And if you yeah. want to, uh, you know, play Stump the Saving the Game podcast hosts, <laughs> you can just back us on Patreon for a dollar a month or anything more. Helps keep us on the air. You get to send in questions maybe even like this or whatever you want. We've had hot dogs and sandwiches before. Yeah, we absolutely have. And those are fun, too. The hot dog one turned into a conversation. About um, chili, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. Oh, yeah. If you want to help support us, that's a great way to do it. And of course, sharing us on social media, reviews of the podcast on Podchaser and iTunes, those help us enormously. All that stuff helps us stay on the mics, on the air, getting episodes to you. All right, so we've got some scripture to read, and then we're going to jump into this topic, and I am excited for it. Who wants to start us off with Proverbs? Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. This is Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. I've got Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Finally, we have Luke chapter 11, verses 46 to 53. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. 
who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So we are continuing our alignment discussion. We are on the last trio of alignments, and we are talking about chaotic good tonight, and I am excited. This is going to be good. Quick reminder, we're talking just some common baselines here. When we're talking about this, we're trying to talk about like objective moral states, not self-perception, which is going to matter a lot more in this episode than in many of the others, I think. Just so you know, I think we're all pretty familiar with good and evil, even if the authors of certain editions of D&D are not. <laughs> the law and chaotic axis here, lawful means orderly in the context we're talking about it, not necessarily only law-abiding. Likewise, chaotic does not mean random or nonsensical, although it could conceivably do so as well. It typically means individualistic or unstructured, anti-hierarchical, sometimes anti-authoritarian, that sort of thing, right? Very broad, not limited to just, am I following the law or am I not? And as always, we've got the two different takes on this, and I've been pretty vocal about my opinion of how 2nd edition AD&D really kind of messed this up for everyone. I'm going to go ahead and read the 2nd edition take, which is not as bad as some of the others. I will say this is, I think, the first time that the 5th edition take is objectively worse than the 2nd edition one. I thought we had one before in the neutrals. We had one that we weren't happy with, but this one I have, like, a real problem with. Yeah, I've got a bone to pick with this 5th edition definition. (laughs) Yeah. I real yeah. Chaotic good per 2nd edition... Chaotic good characters are strong individualists, marked by a streak of kindness and benevolence. They believe in all the virtues of goodness and right, but they have little use for laws and regulations. They have no use for people who, quote, try to push folk around and tell them what to do, end quote. Their actions are guided by their own moral compass, which, although good, may not always be in perfect alignment with the rest of society. A brave frontiersman forever moving on as settlers follow in his wake is an example of a chaotic good character. And we've got the fifth edition take. Chaotic good creatures act as their conscience directs with little regard for what others expect. Copper dragons, mini elves, and unicorns are chaotic good. We got more racial (laughs) essentialism here, folks. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's awful. (laughs) There, there is the whole racial essentialism problem. For once, the fifth ed one is worse than second ed in that respect. Yeah, uh-huh. significantly. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. It's just not necessary either. No, it's not. No. no. I, okay, so here's the other thing, too. Like, the fifth edition doesn't... It defines chaos real well. Yeah, and there's nothing here about good at all. Yeah, yeah, where's the good? There is no good in there, and it's incredibly frustrating. Also, the second edition one... This might be the first time that any of these alignment descriptions have suggested that the law and chaos axis is something other than literal and only opposition to law or not. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's a little bit of, well, you know, it's not in perfect agreement with the rest of society. Okay, I can kind of see some, some like, well, you know, he's maybe not following all the cultural norms of this character, right? Like that's a broader stretch for chaotic than we've had you know, anywhere in the lawful description set, which is 
kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, that makes it sound like pink hair and tattoos makes you chaotic, and that's not necessarily true. Well, so does the fifth edition one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they both do, and it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. you know, okay, Peter, you're going to get angry with me about this one, and that's okay, because I, I will die on this hill, <laughs> but this is why Croucher is not chaotic good. Okay. Because because this is a thing that you and I have talked about, I think, once on the mics, but we've talked about it a lot more during our gaming group. And real quick, for those who are just joining us, maybe because you followed Elizabeth here, Croucher is Jenny's character in the D&D game I'm running. And she is, in my opinion, solidly neutral good because of her actions. By the fifth edition definition of chaotic good, Croucher is chaotic good. And that is why... <laughs> Because this definition is so awful, Croucher cannot be a chaotic good. Can you elaborate on that for those of us who don't know Croucher? Gladly. We're not doing an AP, so... Yeah, yeah no, we're not. Croucher, she is a halfling warlock who follows a, a hands-based patron, and she is exclusively concerned with doing good in the moment. Okay. She is so I immediately good-based... That it's not that she is actively working to tear down a corrupt hierarchy, mm -hmm. which is what I consider to be chaotic good. And we'll get into more of that later. It's just that she doesn't have time to care yes. okay. about whether or not she is doing good according to the law. Th this chaotic good definition here from 5th edition is so broad yeah. that it can encompass a solidly neutral good character. Yes. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because... There were multiple times as I was preparing for this and thinking through characters that I've played and characters that I like that I had to remind myself after the fact, like, no, 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 no. That character's chaotic. That's neutral. That's not chaotic good mm -hmm. because this definition is so vague. Yeah, it's it's just so broad. And and like and in fairness, I think in sort of the zeitgeist of D&D &D culture, right, which is not just what's in the books, but everything sure. that the community of players kind of understands to mean i think there's an enormous amount of bleed between neutral good and chaotic good sure mm -hmm. there seems to be a significant amount of bleed between chaotic good and chaotic neutral which we're going to get into a little bit later in this episode too i think there's less bleed than people like to think there is <laughs> yeah i'm with you there in perception I, yeah yes in perception okay, there we you, go. you are you are correct in an objective <laughs> sense jenny but the way that people present it is more what i'm and Elizabeth, I know you were a little bothered by, like, some of the definitions that they use for good. Yeah, I was. And and I think part of that is I'm a words person. Like, the very specific words they choose, like, really matter to me when I read definitions. So when they say things, especially in the second edition, like, chaotic good characters are strong individualists marked by kindness and benevolent. I read that and I think, okay, well, are those the only examples of what good means? in second edition. And that I just think is very narrow. If if your definition of goodness is just being kind and being benevolent, I don't know. That just kind of bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. Benevolent to whom? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all know plenty of awful people who are kind in certain circumstances. Sure. Oh, yeah. I've mentioned this a couple of times in this alignment series. For like the good evil axis, I like to go back to the seven sins and seven virtues, the series that we did, and then just kind of like the, the general presence of those in Christian culture is kind of a way of calibrating 
moral compasses. I, I also like things like the Beatitudes or Paul's description of, you know, what love is. You know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. And I, I think you have to roll a bunch of that stuff up into good. I, I think Elizabeth is really onto something here because it's such a narrow and stripped down definition. It's like, well, you know, this this person might be a little socially awkward, but they might be, you know, humble and generous and temperate and just struggle with any kind of outward expression of it. I mean, to use an example that we didn't bring up in Neutral Good, I don't think, St. Nicholas chucking, you know, a bag of coins down a, a poor house's chimney at night so they find it in the morning. That's like, a you know, a, the kind of do good and don't get caught kind of a thing. There's that's there's no space for any of that in the second or even fifth edition takes. It's It's just completely disregarded. Why do you think that is? Do you think it was just poor writing or do you think it was meant to be vague? I think it's poor writing. Yeah. So I have some serious issues with alignment and like the D&D &D alignment grid in general. Sure. And we're, we, we are planning to do kind of a wrap up episode where we kind of touch on a bunch of this stuff and, you know, hit anything we missed and that sort of thing. I'm going to have a lot to say about alignment in general and its legacy as this D&D &D sacred cow. And I think some of the problem with it comes from the fact that a lot of the people who were trying to write this did not give it an enormous amount of thought when they just put it together, trying to just hammer it out for a book and get it published. I have a different take. I think at least a significant chunk of it is a lack of an agreed upon standard for what good and evil are. I think the presence of like the D&D &D internet community only makes it worse. I mentioned this, I think, back in the Lawful Good episode, but I've gotten into lengthy arguments with people that think that it's possible to be lawful good and still burn people at the stake. It, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, they're, you know, they think they're doing good and they think it's like, no, their opinion of themselves has absolutely nothing to do with their moral state. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if part of their wimpiness uh, around this fifth edition chaotic good is not wanting to get up the noses of people who think they're chaotic neutral characters are chaotic good. And that could also be. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm wondering about that because... You don't want to get stoned by an internet mob? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't blame them for that. I mean, I think the fifth edition one, they're trying... They were trying to be so terse, I think they just didn't actually communicate the alignment at all. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, if they'd gotten rid of the racial essentialism, they would have had a couple extra lines and could have had this, you know, they could have had the same word count and it would have been better. <laughs> Clearly, they're wrong. Let's talk about what's right. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, enough, enough dragging the designers. They, they, did, yeah. they did their job and they tried, but perhaps we can expound. Help them out. I want to lead off with some song lyrics here because there, there's a song that was popular when I was younger called Hunger Strike from Temple of the Dog. And just the first couple lines of that song, I think, sums up the chaotic good ethos beautifully. And it just goes, well, I don't mind stealing bread from the mouths of decadence, but I can't feed on the powerless when my cup's already overfilled. Also, I'm going to have yep. that song stuck in my head for a week. Thanks oh, for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I tried to keep the cadence out of it, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I honestly, I appreciate you doing that. Thank you. <laughs> there is this interesting sort of essential fairness to a lot of chaotic good characters. Mm -hmm. Well, ho hold on, hold on. I, I don't believe that even though, you know, there's, there's some objective rightness here, something is wrong because you don't have as much as they do and that needs to be fixed, right? Now, how much of that is sort of that anti-establishment nature 
and how much much of that is just you know the, these rules are stopping us from doing what's right. Therefore, they're just they need to go out the window. I'm not sure, right? Yeah, I, I I've got Robin Hood in here, but Grant, you make an excellent point. You know, a little further down our notes that. There's so many versions of him. Yeah, let's talk about Robin Hood, because there are a lot of different takes on Robin Hood, and I think if you ask anyone to name an adventurous, chaotic good character, nine times out of ten, you're going to get Robin Hood Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. But there are some takes on Robin Hood that are absolutely chaotic good. The Disney one, for example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely chaotic good. Not just an animation. Yeah. (laughs) The Errol Flynn version is fairly chaotic good, too, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I'll take your word on that one. I haven't seen it. But there are also takes on it, and I'm going to talk about why these takes exist later. There are takes where he's definitely, like, neutral good or, in a weird way, even lawful good. Mm -hmm. Because he's got his own well-ordered band of outlaws. And... In the legends, he's a loyal servant of King Richard I, right? Richard the Lionhearted, Richard Coeur d'Alene. And he, the phrase outlaw has a very specific meaning in that feudal context of somebody who is outside the protection of the law and outside society. They're sort of like excommunicated from society in a weird way. Right. They are not members of a village anywhere. They're not under a village's protection or a city's protection. And so there's no legal status for them. There's something I want to toss in here real quickly while we're talking about these different versions. Mm -hmm. Overly Sarcastic Productions did a really cool video kind of summing up a whole bunch of these different versions of it. Mm. We will put a link in the show notes. If you're into like some of like the differences in these Robin Hood legends or want to go and compare a couple of different versions to see kind of like the, the lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, go watch that video. It's it's really a cool thing to... Red does a really good job of analysis in there. Yeah, I definitely didn't immediately open that in a new tab and waiting to watch that <laughs> after we stop recording. No, definitely not. Yeah, their stuff is always good, but that's... Oh, a, I'm excited. I like that I, one. The other thing about Robin Hood... The earliest versions of the legend have him as a yeoman, but there are a lot of other versions that make him a knight or a minor nobleman trying to get what was his restored to him. Sir Robin Mm -hmm. of Loxley is Mm -hmm. one of the versions, yeah. You have Robin Hood not as a active seeker of this sort of chaotic good ideal of independence, but rather somebody who is a victim of law gone wrong, waiting for a good king to come back and restore everything into its right order when John is done being king and Richard is back in place, which is not chaotic good. I would I would actively argue he is lawful good in those sorts of retellings. Especially because he's trying to uphold a very specific hierarchy. He is trying to uphold the reign of King Richard. My mom has very, very, very strong opinions on how John was not as bad as as everyone wants to paint him as because King Richard was just stupid. <laughs> Richard was stupid. John was not a good king, however. No, like, it's not that, that he's not done terrible things. It's just that King Richard got himself caught for stupid reasons and John had to pay bail somehow. But we've also talked about how John lost the English treasury in the river, so... Oh, yeah, for sure. So, English so, monarchy yeah. wasn't its romantic ideal. <gasps> what a shock. <laughs> it's interesting to talk about Robin Hood in that context because mm-hmm. 
You could also have kind of a darker modern retelling of Robin Hood that makes him purely chaotic neutral, right? I'm sure that exists. Yeah, there there absolutely have been. Though you could also you could also have parody versions because I'm pretty sure the Men in Tights version of Robin Hood is chaotic neutral. Yes, very much so. <laughs> That's the first version of Robin Hood I ever I ever saw. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, no, that's not true. I had a I had a Robin Hood comic book that was graphic novel of Robin Hood for kids. Learned a lot about that. But like the first movie or stage show or anything about Robin Hood, I think I saw Men in Tights before I saw the Disney version of Robin Hood. <laughs> I, I still think the Disney version is the definitive one for this. It's quite good. It's so yeah. good. It yeah, really it's is. Cute. It's and lovely. Good music. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic animation, too. Uh, beg to differ. But uh, it's classic. Yeah. It's classic. Yeah, Grant, if you're holding it up to today's standards. Oh, no, I'm holding it up to, like, Disney standards because there was a lot of reused animation cells. There, there were, oh, but that no. was a common practice I back don't... then. And some of the actual, <laughs> yeah. like, we could, this, this is something that doesn't belong in an alignment discussion. Let's move no, this yeah. down. <laughs> uh, fair enough. But, but my larger point is it does not take a lot for people to leave the realm of chaotic good. It's a very mutable sort of alignment, and I think there's perception problems that drive some of that. We've talked about that, but I think also it's just easy to slip and fall. Yeah. 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 Elizabeth, I think you had a couple other things in here that you might have wanted to touch on. I mean, I have to review the notes. Right now, I'm just caught up in this discussion about Robin Hood, and you guys (laughs) are talking about it, and I just keep thinking, like, how much our perception of these different characters defines our own characters when we play and Mm so when we think okay well robin hood is clearly chaotic good and yet there's so many different iterations of robin hood and that's played out in so many different ways and if we use that as our definition or as our example it makes sense why people get so confused isn't even the right term because it's it's not as strong as that but how how easy it is with these alignments to kind of get them all blurred. I'd, I'd also like to throw out one other example just to, to provide a, a second instance of a character that I think is a pretty solid example of chaotic good. This particular character might seem like more lawful good at first, but I'm, I'm going to make the case. I think Morpheus, specifically from The Matrix, is chaotic good because he does all of this stuff to kind of like break this terrible structure that he's in. And he functions in a very intuitive kind of way. He kind of like goes outside of structures all the time to do things like even the martial arts and combat training and stuff that he gives Neo kind of early on in the movie is based around the idea of rejecting rules that are stuck in your brain, like the jump thing across the building where he goes and he makes like the roadrunner crater in the street the first time he tries and stuff like that. It's it's all about kind of like cracking these rules out of your head. Um, these rules are holding you back. You know, you, you're a better person than this. Break your shackles kind of a thing. I, I think Morpheus is a really good example. Mm. I particularly like intuitive as a descriptor for chaotic good characters. I think yeah, that's a good word. Looking inward for guidance is one of the defining traits of characters in this alignment, like properly in that alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're not going to trust like an external code or something, right? Because those were made by flawed people and very much a trust your own conscience, trust your own guidance kind of a thing. Yeah. Living in the trust moment. Trust your gut kind of yep. kind of thing. So now are we going to deconstruct the whole chaotic neutral trap? I think that's a good segue, though, because I think that can be 
uh, a little bit of a trap. And Jenny, you've got a lot to talk about on this. I've got a fair amount to talk about on this. It's not all structured in my head. This is the chaos episode. But I think it is so, so easy for the, I just trust my intuition and I only trust myself and I'm chaotic but the GM won't let me go chaotic neutral or chaotic evil, so I guess I gotta be chaotic good. No, no, that cheapens your experience and that cheapens your potential for role-playing outside of your comfort zone. Hmm. So, oh my goodness. I, I have to I have to take a drink of water because this gets me so angry. <laughs> Jenny has opinions about this. I mean, I do, yeah, because bring it, Jenny. Yeah, we, we all do too. Because I had to handle this. Throughout three years of high school, three years of trying to convince somebody, no, that's not chaotic good, that's just pure chaos. No, that's not chaotic good, that's just evil. You're just being evil. No, I'm sorry, you're doing it very, very badly. (laughs) I do think a lot of this stems from wanting to be Robin Hood, but they focus so heavy on the chaos aspect that they lose any of the good. Like, a, a, a chaotic good character is not going to break a law for the sake of breaking a law. That is just sheer chaotic neutral, possibly veering into chaotic evil depending on the law. Like, we are not murder hobos here. Mm -hmm. Chaotic good is not the murder hobo alignment at all. That that's not how good works. People forget the good so fast. Yes, I think that's actually my biggest issue with the second edition take on Mm -hmm. chaotic good you know oh they have no use for people who try to push folk around and tell them what to do and yes just before this they mentioned believing in all the virtues of goodness and right right but they have little use Mm -hmm. for laws and regulations in my opinion i think somebody who is chaotic good might well respect those so long as they are serving a good purpose and so long as they are fair i think if the law is fair then the chaotic good person is perfectly fine to work within the law. But if those laws are no longer fair for everybody, we've mentioned fairness a bunch and we're going to keep on doing it. As soon as those laws become unfair, that's going to rankle the chaotic good character. Yeah. And unfairness might rankle them a little more than unjustness, which is something that, you know, I know that's a subtle distinction, but I, you know, because we're talking about chaotic good, not just neutral good, where good is the priority, I think... That sort of instinctive, well, that's not fair sort of reaction is a valid part of that character type where they might be slower to recognize genuine injustice. I think there's potential for that. Yeah, I think. Okay, Grant, I think you're describing the difference between a mature chaotic good character and an immature one. I mean, it's entirely possible. Hmm. I think a lot of immature chaotic good characters are just neutral good characters with a G that they accidentally wrote down on their character (laughs) sheet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I'm completely with Jenny on this one. There are so many anarchist characters. It's like, and and I'll tell you, a lot of times it's the same player who immediately responds negatively to the GM suggesting a plot. It's like, hey, I want to go <laughs> yeah. to the tavern. I want to do whatever I want in the tavern. Okay, well, there are consequences to that. Don't you tell me what to do. I'm going to fight back. Hmm. I would argue not anarchist. I would argue libertarian. <laughs> And I'm going to get a lot of crap for that. But I can see that. anarchy is is not inherently just just, you know, I want to do what I want. It is inherently 
unhierarchical, but it is not inherently let me do what I want. That is what I consider to be chaotic evil. more on the libertarian side of things. And <laughs> and no, no, not, not inherently chaotic evil. I think more on the libertarian side of things. Okay. It's, it's a focus on the self rather than on not having a hierarchy. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's... it's that's a fair description, yeah. I think. Well, and that yeah. goes back to the second edition, which specifically starts off by saying they're strong individualists and being consistent within your own character. If, if you're a strong individualist, you don't necessarily mind if other people want to bow to the laws of the land. It's when those laws affect you that you would have a problem with it. Or mm-hmm. when those laws start really hurting people. Right. Neutral laws that just govern the land wouldn't necessarily be a problem to you until they start impacting your rights or your freedoms or your opinions. Yeah, like I I, I find it difficult to believe that a chaotic good character would object to a small and reasonable road tax levied to make sure that like travel throughout a barony or something was safe and that was actually managed well. Let's talk, since we've been talking about Robin Hood, something to know about Bridges in those feudal times, they were self-funded, essentially. The reason you have tolls at the bridge is because somebody built a bridge on their own and is charging for its maintenance. It's a private operation, essentially. You know, there's rules set for how much you're allowed to charge, but somebody built that bridge on their own initiative because there was no such thing as a government strong enough to manage anything like bridge building. Right. Anybody who, who's going to, you know, flip out when somebody says, all right, well, the toll's too silver or whatever to cross the bridge. That's not a chaotic good character. That's just... That's not a good character That's not a good character. character. <laughs> that's somebody throwing a fit when, you know, somebody asks for what is justly due theirs, and that's a problem. Here's the thing, though. I can see that being a good character if you have the right set of circumstances. Yeah, story matters a lot. Yeah, if two silver is like multiple weeks of wages and there's a famine in the land and that bridge is freshly maintained it's time to wave the toll <laughs> in a chaotic good character's mind and that's mm-hmm. fair that's yeah. fair I, I again my default assumption is you know just average every day right this is a minor obstacle in your way you know on your way to the adventure kind of thing this is like a the toll that we paid to use the actual tollways here in Illinois. It's like, uh, it's 50 <laughs> right. cents, you know, whatever, yes. you mm-hmm. know. Man, if you guys have 50 cents tolls still, I'm moving to Illinois. I, I don't know. care what the conditions are. <laughs> well, it was $24 on the Beltway the other day. <laughs> yeah, I've taken the Florida Turnpike uh, and the, the Florida toll roads more times than I care to admit to my wallet. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what happens when you have family in Florida. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Even then, Peter, there's also sort of the question of, you know, can I afford the toll or is this person charging everybody the toll? Right. In that same scenario you described, it would be interesting. And here I think we're getting away from what is a chaotic good character more like what sort of traits might you play a chaotic good character with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. fair. Is this chaotic good character somebody who's willing to show largesse in a time of famine because they are a, you know, wealthy adventurer who is presumably carrying around equipment and cash worth hundreds or thousands of times what your average peasant will see in their lifetime in classic medieval fantasy sort of setting, are they willing to show that kind of largesse and spend lots of money and, yes, pay the toll because that then lets the bridge keeper 
not have to charge others. In a situation like this, if you're looking for a way to indicate that your character is good, and let's assume that this bridge keeper does not have a reputation for being some kind of a cheat or something. Let's say this is an honest bridge keeper. A good adventurer will walk up, see that, look at the fact that there's a famine, and say, how many people does 15 gold get across this bridge? Are they paying it forward at Starbucks? <laughs> Maybe, or even just there's a, you know, a bunch of people that can't afford to get across the bridge. So say, you know, I'm going to cover all of these people. Give me the bill. Um, I'm actually thinking more like the uh, the tale of the Good Samaritan, where it's like, <laughs> you know, this this per these people have nothing. I have something. What can I do? And that's a really good chaotic good example from scripture. Yeah. They are very definitely violating social norms and actual laws. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But they're doing good and they're doing God's work. I should have mm -hmm. thrown that in the scripture example. <laughs> we, we should have. This is what happens when we, you know, actually talk out <laughs> topics. Again, they're not, you know, they're dealing fairly with the innkeeper who's keeping the hurt uh, Jewish man as well, right? Because the Samaritan's response is, give him a room. Here's a bunch of money to pay for his medical care. And I'm, when I come back, if it costs more, I will pay you the difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a debt there. They're acknowledging that. They're being responsible with that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make them any less – that doesn't take them out of that chaotic good thing because they're still you know, dealing fairly with individuals and being honest as a person. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. like that. That's – at this point, I'm going to uh, – plug the good orc again from yes. um barton bible <laughs> if you've never heard that it is an absolutely fantastic like D, D style fantasy retelling of the tale of the good samaritan mm. from the perspective of the guy that got the stuffing beat out of him in a lot of ways and it's really interesting i would heartily recommend that mike perna and company did a really good job mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how else are we using chaotic good in play i i think it's probably worth acknowledging that this is at least the perceived alignment of a lot of adventuring groups mm -hmm. or at least the average mm -hmm. you you get a lot of characters that are like i want to be chaotic and you get a bunch of other players that are like i want to be good and it's like well you know moody you might have like a lawful good character two chaotic neutral characters and a neutral good character and that averages out to chaotic good over the course of the campaign <laughs> yeah a lot of people just want to play chaotic good characters in general yeah they want to be good right they want to they want to be her heroes doing heroic things but they don't want to tell anyone to tell them what to do they want to do their own yeah. thing i think you may have hit the nail on the head there with they they want to be the hero yeah chaotic good is i think it's sort of an initiative taking alignment it's it's one that because there is this implication of of impulsiveness although not necessarily there because there is this implication of impulsiveness it is one that moves the plot it is part of why when i'm with a new group or and by new group i mean a group comprised largely of new players i will instantly pick chaotic good yeah. because it is so easy to just move the plot when yeah. everyone else is stagnating it's almost the default D&D &D alignment. It really is. It, mm. And you don't have to worry about the laws of the land. Like, you don't have to worry about following the rules or doing things. You can be sneaky. You can go think outside the box. When you're when you're trying to solve a problem as a D&D &D character and you're playing chaotic good, you, you almost feel like, especially as a new player, that you have a lot more options mm -hmm. um, for how to accomplish things. And it's it's easier to role play that than to have to 
worry about what it's like to role play within the rules or in society. Okay, you just you just said something cool there that I want to come back to real quick, because I, I think there's a neat like structural advantage here that you just called attention to. You can be out like chaotic good characters, a, a campaign that kind of focuses around a party that averages out to that alignment gets kind of all of the toys, right? You can have yeah. the whole, like, running from the cops thing, you know, the, that you've seen in every heist movie, trying to get away from the authorities, you know, corrupt or maybe just, you know, like, just doing their jobs kind of a thing. But you also get to go toe-to-toe with all of the bad guys and still have the moral high ground. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a lot of toys to play with as both a player and as a GM who's trying to come up with with stories for this this group of impulsive do-gooders. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also and I'm going to say the word juvenile here, but I don't mean that necessarily disparagingly, okay? It plays into those tropes of the action hero who appeals to the juvenile fantasy of I know what's right even if, you know, the authorities who I'm nominally supposed to report to can't react quickly enough. I'm going to do it on my own and show everyone that I'm right, right? This is Every, Absolutely. you know, you're a loose cannon, turn in your badge and your gun. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. I don't have time to wait for the red tape. Yeah. 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 And, and that there's, the, I say juvenile in that it's that very teenage rebellious sort of fantasy, right? Yeah. Which, not necessarily bad. I've got one of those on the way and I get it. I think that's sort of where are a lot of our heroic ideas in modern culture have that archetype in them that older myths necessarily don't, but we're more exposed to those modern takes. And I think that's why this is the default for so many people is I'm going to know what's right and I'm going to do it. And of course I'll be opposed by some, you know, stagnant, stultified authority figure and I'll show them wrong that I was right and they weren't. Ha ha. That's just part of modern storytelling. Yeah. It's that individualistic nature. You had something else here in the notes that I kind of want to hit before we move on you've got them down as um very easygoing in a lot of ways despite kind of like the intensity we've been talking about i I think you've got something there you want to unpack that a little bit it's interesting because we're talking about it and i've i almost wish we could have had this conversation and then i could have made my notes (laughs) (laughs) oh if i had a nickel for every time i've had that thought (laughs) now i'm not sure but before we had this conversation i would have said that chaotic good characters are fairly easygoing in the sense that they that's that chaoticness they can obey the laws or not obey the laws they can go around the corner and steal something if they need it because they have good justification to do that there's just a sense of like i said before playing that character opens up a lot of options and so it makes it kind of an an easy character to play on the surface i think that's why a lot of newer players especially gravitate to this character because it seems I want to be the rebel or I want to be the the vigilante who goes off and does their thing and doesn't have to to worry. I wonder, too, if it also makes it easier to build a group of player characters who are in many D&D campaigns. What is we have a, an elf, a dwarf, a tiefling and a I'm sorry, what splat book did you pull that out of? <laughs> You're naturally going to have this very weird group of people which probably doesn't easily fit into any regular society that's easy to think of. And so, yeah, it makes sense that I'm just hanging out with whoever. It's cool. Grant, you you hit on something that I can't believe we missed at this point. Chaotic characters tend to be very low on prejudices. 
because that's like mm. a hierarchical traditional kind of thing. Hmm. I don't know that that's true. I think okay. a lot of times they'll have their own beliefs that stem from personal experience. I think they are not subject to a lot of social prejudices, right? But I can also think of plenty of chaotic, grumpy old men who have one bad experience and, you know, painted entire groups of people with that brush. And I don't just mean in real life, I mean in fiction as well, where, you know, they have to be shown that, oh, well, they're not all as bad as that. Hmm. I think it is a different type of prejudice. I think you're right there. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. again, very individualistic rather than I have adopted the social mores of my community. I'm going to unfortunately throw out that this one particular stereotype might be right. And you know what it is? It's the thief versus paladin. So you've got... I I, I think that chaotic characters may have the potential to be heavily prejudiced against those who uphold the law as good. Yeah. So I think that is where one of the classic D&D stereotypes of the thief and the paladin not getting along, I I think there's a lot of potential there. And as much as it is a stereotype, I think if you... I think there's potential to actually do a good job with it and actually Mm -hmm. explore that a little deeper. Sure. We had that in the game that I ran, the, the colony game where my wife's character was chaotic neutral. Peter, you were playing a neutral good cleric. Mm-hmm. Tended to be lawful within the context of the Wild West community that we had here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you were as close to law as it, anybody got there. And there was absolutely that tension. Now, it did not play out as you know, these characters hate each other, but they definitely had wildly different viewpoints because of their origins and backgrounds and personalities, which was deeply satisfying in play, but it de- we definitely had that conflict, and it was good because played well, those kinds of characters can be foils for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in that particular case, it played out not as, you know, these characters hate each other. It played out as these characters genuinely like and respect each other. Now what? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, how do we how do we reconcile these very different outlooks with the fact that this person is my friend? For starters, you have characters who don't or players who don't just go, well, I'm just playing my character when I'm being you know, rude to yours. You actually have character interaction and character growth rather than staying static as a character. But that's a role playing thing. Yes. And that gets into story and backstory as well, because when you start thinking about how your characters past affects their alignments, it it really dramatically impacts the way they live that out, the ways in which they are chaotic or the ways in which they, you know, want to throw off authority that is often determined by the story that you've created, if you've created it, and if that's the way you want to play the game. And I know not that's not everybody's saying. But what you guys are talking about too is this just this aspect of story and how that impacts your character. Please remember Backstory is backstory, not the only story I'm ever going to tell about this character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's stage dressing, but I love it. It's the the notes a voice actor is given before they start to play the character. It's not mm-hmm. the st- character. I'm going to give you a, a slightly cheesy, but I think apropos analogy. Backstory is the soil that the plant that is your character grows out of. I love it. All right. Yeah. I, I am a huge fan of backstory because I love... The, the RP. I'm all about the role playing and, and the games that, that we play that I'm a part of right now are heavy role playing and and I love the way 
that you can look at a, a person's or characters in this case's past and, and see how it's impacting the choices they're making now and the way it's dictating their futures in a sense, not in a rigid sort of way, but in a, okay, there's a reason this character doesn't like authority. There's a reason Robin Hood is doing what he's doing. Is it because he owned his land and it was all taken from him and he's trying to get it back? Or is he actually just being benevolent towards the poor people because... He cares? Yeah, the right exactly. Because he's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting to think about that too, because that very much reflects how people actually are. Yeah. Like you can, you can go back and look at like the apostle Paul's history. I think he's probably one of the characters mm. in the new Testament, at least that we have the most backstory about that isn't actually Jesus. And he's, he tends to be very like hard on himself and self-deprecating in a lot of his letters. And I, I think part of that is probably because it's like, there's a guy that knows he was wrong. Yeah. You know, I mean, he goes through that whole road to Damascus experience and that totally changes who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. And you can still see like some of like his education and his very kind of ordered pharisaical background and stuff and some of his perspectives yeah. and some of the ways that he talks about things. But it's like this guy has also been profoundly humbled and then treated really well by these people that he was persecuting. And so there's like this mix of kind of like who I was and, who, you know, what has happened to me and what that has ultimately made me that you can see in his letters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love I love that character development. I mean, obviously for Paul, it was like a real person's development. But yeah. we see it play out in D&D &D all the time as well. We can. There's the potential for that sort of story mm -hmm. arc to take place. The other piece of it is, I think, and this is true with any alignment. Let me say that. But chaotic good characters, I think, can – one of the, the really fun starting points for that character is somebody who is sort of disillusioned with things that is out on their own, right? The the rebel out there on their own fighting the good fight because, you know, they they sort of lost faith in whatever big organization they were with before, right? The – whatever that is. And while that can be chaotic neutral, I think there's a lot of chaotic good characters like that who – can start off having been members of an organization and now have some connections there still, but they're not really that anymore. Alignment does not necessarily always extend all the way through backstory. Yeah. And that's a, a classic archetype that I feel is used without really giving it enough thought in some ways. I've, I'm starting a Star Wars game here very soon. And the character I'm playing, we're using Impulse Drive. We settled on Impulse Drive. We talked about this last episode. We were torn between Edge of the Empire and Impulse Drive. We went with the latter. The character I'm playing is a former stormtrooper who basically was sort of disillusioned with everything and turned on the Empire and helped a bunch of, of people rebel against a Imperial-controlled corporation and now is sort of persona, definitely persona non grata in the Empire, but also everybody at the station is like, yeah, but you're still marching around in your armor, dude. Um, what, what you doing about this? What's your plan here? So <laughs> he's definitely sort of got that I'm just in it for myself at this point mode, but that's because he's trying to figure out where he's going. Yeah. Because this happened, this literally is just when this sort of turn happened for the character. So it's going to be interesting for him, and I'm excited to play that out. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, you kind of tossed out some 
tantalizing hints that you've seen this kind of development at the table. Do you have any particular stories that you feel like sharing? We've talked a little <laughs> bit about the colony game, but we've talked about the colony game a whole bunch on this podcast and you're a guest. So you've got some <laughs> stuff that we probably haven't <laughs> talked about. Oh gosh. Well, I can tell you that I am currently playing in a homebrew game that is D&D 5e that takes place in Matt Mercer's Exandria. So it's mm. it's not in Forgotten Realms. And um, it's, it's total homebrew. And we have a very odd assortment of characters that have kind of grouped up somehow together. And I would say, as... You know, as we've already talked about, that most of the players at our table are probably lean towards this chaotic, neutral, chaotic, good sort of mentality. But we have one player that I I don't know how he would describe himself, but I think he is absolutely lawful good. And it has definitely come out a few times where he has just stamped his foot and said no further. And he tried to arrest the captain of the ship our player characters were on and... It didn't go very well, and we got marooned on an island Uh as a result. And it was just one of those, we're all sitting there going, like, what? What are you doing? Like, just go, just pay the money. Just just pay the money that the ship captain's asking for. And it was an exorbitant amount, and it was, he had gone back on his word and was charging us all this extra. And and to this character, it was, it was, no, we had an agreement. We had a, a contract, and you're going back on it, so nope, we won't do that. You're wrong. I'm right. You have disobeyed the laws of the land. And it was interesting to see that play out with all the rest of us kind of, we're willing to pay. Like It's not that big a deal. But no, no, it turned into a battle and we got marooned on an island. Yeah. So, so yeah, seeing how the alignments affect the choices your characters make, it's kind of an interesting thing. It causes problems. But I love the story. I love the stories that come out when players play their alignment, even when it's not the easy thing to do. Anytime a character stands up for their actual values in a game, Uh it's always exciting. It was. It was shocking. And I mean, we all just kind of sat at the table being like, are are you, you're serious? You're going to do, he's like, absolutely. (laughs) I'm putting manacles on him. I am arresting him right now. And we're like, what? They, they all have weapons. (laughs) (laughs) they all do they're going to get us and he was like i don't care getting away from the gamest solution and actually playing a character and having them stick up for something having showing courage in the moment to not do the tactically optimal thing at that moment Mm -hmm. is always interesting it's one reason i love playing with jenny because jenny will never do the optimal mechanical choice that's not no, true. No, no, win, I did, I did Eldritch Blast so many times. Hold on, Jenny, Jenny, let me finish the sentence. She'll never do it when her character would do anything else. Yeah. You are really good at sticking to character and not giving into the, but it'd be so much easier to just Eldritch Blast this guy. <laughs> but Eldritch Blast is so boring. I love I, it. I it's so blast. boring. I love it. I love it. I love it too. But it's boring at this point because it's all the, the tactically good thing a character can do. That Jenny's is absolutely 100% contributing. Lots more spells. <laughs> but warlocks are more fun. Anytime you have a chance to have Croucher do anything else because it's what Croucher would do, you do it, right? And we have, we saw the same yeah. thing with the Terry in Peter's game, 
right? It's yeah. Like, no, yeah. I'm sticking to my character and I don't care what, you know, is more efficient at the table. This is what a Terry will do because a Terry it's more fun that way. Else. <laughs> yeah. Chrissy and I are kind of the cynics in this group. Like, uh, that's not the best way to go about this. So we'll do this instead. <laughs> yeah. It's also just straight up more fun that way. Like you didn't see that at all with, or you didn't see it very much with that character that I didn't get to play very much. So I barely remember his name. What was the lawyer guy Ganelon? I played? Ganelon. You barely got to see that with Ganelon because it comes out more easily with me in chaotic good characters mm. because I am playing the impulse gremlin. And as much as I, I've been like bashing on people who just play it for the purpose of playing an impulse gremlin, and as much as I will still stick by my gun <laughs> that, that Croucher is, is neutral good, when I am playing an impulsive character, it is just so much more easy to do the tactically disadvantageous thing if it is what my character would do. It is just easier yeah, because that. my character isn't thinking tactically, and I'm not thinking tactically because I'm bad at tactics. Oh, I get that too. <laughs> and I'm in it for the fun! <laughs> so, and, and I love the tactical stuff and the crunchy stuff. It's one of the things that I just enjoy. And so sometimes I will often play characters who just sort of let me do that. See mm -hmm. Paula, for example. Yeah. Who you know, was my chaotic neutral. I'm going to punch you and look pretty rogue. I think she was just neutral neutral, actually. Uh, only because I was not sure I could get chaotic neutral past you. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> 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 well, and that brings up the whole question of the way alignment describes our characters and how that can come come and go and we make decisions in the moment and yeah i mean we have a, one of the things we're going to have to talk about when we do that wrap-up episode is you know changing alignments right mm -hmm. yeah because yeah. we've been talking about these sort of as static character archetypes in a lot of ways yeah i think there was a there are a few in neutral where i think we did straight up say Yes, this one is really, really good for character development. I think we said it with Lawful Evil as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I personally have seen a really good Lawful Evil to, uh, I think it was chaotic or neutral good that happened over a fairly long period of time. Yeah, we, we need to dig deeper in, in our wrap up episode about changing alignments. I think this one is probably the least changeable. I'm actually in agreement with you. Yeah, yeah I agree. Elizabeth, your your comment on how these are such easygoing characters, that makes it so that they don't have to change as yeah. much. They can always just sort of go prance through the plot, not yeah. caring too much. You can't have a lot of internal conflict with a chaotic good character, in my opinion. It's certainly harder. It's it, harder. It is harder because mm -hmm. the conflict has to come from outside them. The circumstances, the events around them can cause a ton of conflict for sure. But when it's just internal and you're just, it, it doesn't. And you're already so sure of yourself. Yeah, they don't really struggle. They're not questioning their decisions yeah. as much. Yeah. But boy, can you have a lot of internal conflict with a neutral good character. Yeah. Ask me how <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yep. <laughs> you could do it with chaotic good, but it requires setup. It does. Yeah. A lot Even more planning. Even then, a lot of times it has to be externally motivated mm -hmm. so that the character starts looking inward. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. I think we've been kind of dancing around this for the entire episode. These characters are very internal in a lot of ways. They're they're very... Introspective, intro yeah, possibly? Yeah, thank you. Introspective is exactly the mm. word I was trying to find in my brain. They, or they, they can be. Yeah, they have a lot they, of potential They tend to, to work from their own moral compass rather than outside standards. They tend to process a lot of stuff internally and then make a decision, whether that's quick and impulsive or a little more premeditated. 
but they don't tend to consult much else. You know, it's like, yeah. let's not go see what this philosopher or religion says. Let's not ask my friends what they think. Let's not look at the laws of the land. What is right here and now as best as I can determine it? Okay, you guys just said something really, really good. Impulsiveness is a common chaotic good trope. So if you want to play against type, play a chaotic good character who is not impulsive, but gives everything a lot of deliberation. And my go-to example of this would be Perrin Ibarra from The Wheel of Time. Mm, he's such a good okay. character. Somebody who is... Oh, I, I love Perrin. Absolutely my favorite character in the whole series. Same. Perrin is, has that real strong sense of fairness, and everything he does is internal. He's always struggling with you know this responsibility that he's been given versus what he's trying to do to be just and right by his own standards and meet his own standards. But he does not make quick decisions. And every time he makes a quick impulsive decision, it goes wrong. <laughs> it's only when he thinks and really puts his mind to a, a problem and works on it. He's a blacksmith by trade and training. It's a metaphor that's used constantly when Robert Jordan is describing his character. And so a lot of times he'll have him go to a, a smith's work area, good lord, I'm blanking out a forge, work, literally work through his problem, think as he's blacksmithing. Hmm. And that idea of giving, it, of methodical approach and thinking his way through problems while still, ab, you know, abhorring anything a chaotic good character would find abhorrent, the restrictions of law that create injustice, anything that would hurt anyone, you know, it, with the exception, and sometimes not even then, of people who are serving the big evil in The Wheel of Time. He's working through all of those, but methodically. And it's a hmm. wonderful example of a character who really is against type because we're so used to the impulsive, almost fey, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, yeah. chaotic good character. Yeah, he's a great example. I haven't read Wheel of Time, yeah, neither but maybe I. I should. <laughs> <laughs> if you have it, the audible versions of the wheel of time are excellent that's how i got through the series because i get bogged down a little bit in it when i was reading it i mean they are physically difficult to lift <laughs> they are <laughs> they're big and there's a lot of them there's something like thirteen thousand pages in that series or something oh we literally have room for one of them on my shelf that's fair <laughs> i can only justify having one of them but i will say this because the audible versions they use two narrators one of the big things in the wheel of time is a uh dichotomy between male and female, which Jordan is very aware of. It's not an accident that he's talking okay. about that. He's using it as a metaphor in a lot of cases, and it's very subtle. He's a better author than a lot of people give him credit for. And so there are two narrators, one male, one female, to speak male and female perspectives. Hmm. And that change in voice actually really kept me engaged as I was listening, hmm. rather than hearing one person drone on forever. Hmm. Strong recommend on those. All right. We've started talking about Wheel of Time. Do we have anything else on Chaotic Good? Not until the wrap-up episode. Okay. <laughs> Elizabeth, anything from you? Yeah, no, I think we hit on all the things that I've just been pondering. Yeah, cool. I mean, except for wrap-up episode sort of things that come to mind, but... Yeah, no, I, I think I've said my bit, so... Well, Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. This yeah, has been you fantastic. On. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, this, this has been so good. If people want to find other things by you, where can they find you? Christinpopculture.com has 
most of my writing. So, and I have a website, just elizabethgarn.com. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Is there any social media you want us to link to as well? Yeah, you can link to my Twitter handle. It would be awesome because that's where I hang out with most of my time. Follow her on Twitter. She's good. <laughs> a lot of good stuff coming out of there. <laughs> yes, do, because then we can hang out and chat. That was, I mean, that was how we got you on this episode. So I'm so glad you did. Seriously, this has been so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, we absolutely need to have you back. This has really been a good discussion. And you can find us on the web at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. I just renewed that one for two more years. You're going to hear me talk about that one for two more years at least. (laughs) We are on Twitter and Facebook as Saving the Game. Easy to find there. Uh, And of course, we are on iTunes and Podchaser and Google Play and Stitcher. Google Play might be changing to Google Podcasts. I'm not sure how that's working. They're doing changes internally. It's always a mess with Google. Googly things. We're there. You can find us. It's easy. And if you want to find our show notes where we have all these links, go to stgcast.org. We're on Spotify, too. Did I mention Spotify? I didn't. Okay, yeah, we're on Spotify. Give us a listen there, too, if you want. In fact, if you could just listen to... Everything we put out on all of these places. And you should. That would be fantastic. Simultaneously. Yeah. Simultaneously if you can if you can handle it. There's nothing better than a choral presentation of saving the game. Yeah. Just crush yourself with that wall of sound. <laughs> uh, but no. Uh Anything like that helps us a great deal. Please share us around. It helps us enormously. Any last thoughts from anyone? Nope. 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 Then from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.